Well, good morning. So glad to see you this morning in the Lord's house. This is a good time of worship together. You know, it was, um, let's see here, 11 years ago, my wife and I had been struggling with infertility for, um, I guess, for about almost nine years. We've been married for 12 years. We struggled for almost nine years. And it was 11 years ago that we, uh, we found out we were pregnant um, through the process of in vitro fertilization and uh, some other sciencey stuff. But either way, we found out we were pregnant. It was an amazing time for us. After having been married for 12 years, we're pregnant. We happened to be uh, on a little trip in Colorado. We were in the Rocky Mountain National Forest, and we drove over. We never made this drive over that, that path. It's absolutely beautiful. But we drove over down into Grand Lake, Colorado, and uh, took my wife to a romantic dinner, this little place close to the lake. And she was just barely showing. You know, just barely, the baby was just barely. In fact, we didn't know if it was a boy or a girl. And uh, it was such an exciting time for us. And we loved that place very much. Well, after dinner, we decided we would uh, drive back around. There seemed like a little dirt road that took us back to the lake. So we drove back there behind the restaurant. And at the lake was a field of daisies. Now, that's important to my wife and I because... Back in college, I used to give her flowers, and maybe it's because I was just cheap, I'm not sure, but uh, we just loved the daisies, and so I would give her bundles of daisies all the time, and one time I remember putting on uh, the little card, it just said, simple, sweet, pure, and true, that's why I love you, isn't that, isn't that sweet, isn't that special? Well, that's, that's what I put on the card, I think she still has the card, but anyway, daisies have always meant something special to my wife and I. They represent our love. So I remember as we found out she was pregnant, we didn't know if it was a boy or a girl. I remember we were talking about what name we were going to name this baby, whether it was a boy or a girl. We didn't know what we were going to do. But I remember we kind of came up with this idea, what if we named her Daisy? If it's a girl, it could be Daisy. We really didn't know what we were going to do if it was a boy. But if it's a, if it's a girl, what if we named her Daisy? That would be so special. She would, it would represent our love for each other. It would mean something every time we said her name. And so here we're in Grand Lake, and we go back behind the restaurant, and there's a field of daisies. I mean, it's just like perfect. And so we took a picture. We took a bunch of pictures, and this is one of them. You can see she's just barely showing, and it's a beautiful place. And we thought, now we didn't know if this was a boy or a girl, but we thought, we got a 50-50 chance on this photo shoot. Let's go for it, right? So that was beautiful. It meant something to us. We finally have our little girl. We name her Daisy Joy Klein, and it just so happens that a year later, we get to go back to Grand Lake for the same conference, and we did another photo shoot in the very same location. Isn't that sweet? It was so neat to stand in that field of daisies. I'm trying not to go there because I'm, a, you know, I'm an emotional guy anyway. I'll just lose it. Um, it was so sweet to stand in that same field of daisies a year later and hold this baby that we had waited for for 12 years. Her name means a lot to me. Daisy Joy Klein, and listen, she is her daddy's joy. Everything about her I absolutely love. And right now, she's across the way playing her little ukulele and leading worship to our kids. She's a blessing. She 
is a blessing. So fast forward three years, and we had never been pregnant on our own in 15 years. And God said, yeah, why don't, why don't we do that now? So after 15 years of marriage, we, we end up pregnant on our own. We weren't sure if it was a boy or a girl. We still didn't have a boy name. We didn't know what we were going to do. And we found out it was going to be a little girl. And we decided to name her. I didn't, I didn't do a picture of Jovi. Um, but we decided to uh, name her Jovi May. Well, Jovi's name means God will add. It just seemed appropriate <laughs> that it wasn't our doing this time. It was, it, was, it was absolutely a miracle of God, and he would add to our family. So Jovi May and Daisy Joy are our precious gifts from God. Names mean something. They mean something. They have a deep meaning. It's not just what we are called. It, it goes down into your soul. They have great meaning. Now, a lot of people are naming their kids whatever these days just because they're popular names. And it's kind of sad because names have a meaning. Your name has a meaning. My name has a meaning. My name, and I, trust me, I, and you're going to think I'm making this up. I'm not. My name means man or warrior, which is kind of cool. I love it. I don't know. Thanks, mom and dad. They, what's funny is they actually thought I was going to be a girl, so I'm not sure how that name works out as a girl. But anyway, I wasn't. Uh, my wife's name, Lori, means crowned one. All of our names have a meaning. And uh, it's very interesting to think about your name and how God has uh, almost d- directed your life, sometimes by that name. Uh, this morning, we're going to take a look at four stories in scriptures. You know I love, I love stories. And we're going to take a look at four stories this morning that have to do with God changing someone's name. Okay? And we're going to take a look at why. Now, the first story you'll see on your, on your bulletin, the first story is Abraham and, and Sarah. Okay? And the reason, I'm going to just kind of give you the answer before we even get into it, because I want us to make a big deal of these reasons. The reason he changes their name is because he's going to make them a promise and he's going to bring them into his plan. Okay, that's that's if you're writing notes today on your thing, that's the first two answers. Got it? Promise and plan. Let's read Genesis 17, verse 1. It says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is a 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. 
So here's the question. God's doing this change, this name change, in the middle of making a covenant to the nation of Israel. But why change their names? Why is it important that he changes their name? Not just their name, their identity. What's the purpose? Well, I think there's many reasons and probably many that I don't know. But I believe one of the reasons is God wanted them to remember that he was in control of their lives and not them. He wanted every day from then on for them to remember, you know what? God has got a plan and he's making us a promise. In fact, it's who we are now. It's who we are. The name Abram, let's just tell you, the name Abram means high father. Okay, but it's not referring to Abram. It's referring to Abram's father. His name was Terah. You can find his story earlier in Genesis. And he was the father of many people. In fact, his genealogy is in Scripture. He's an important guy. He was a high father. Abram's name reflected the greatness of his father, not him. So you can imagine for 86 years having to live with a name that meant high father, and you weren't one. You had to live with this fact that we're not going to conceive. And my name means high father, but it's not even referring to me. It's to my father. That would have been a difficult thing, don't you think? You see, God had a plan, and he brought them into that plan with a name change. And he changed their names to remind them that he was and is and will be at work. Now, don't you think, and I, I know this as a, as a husband who struggled through infertility. <laughs> He's 99. She's 89. And so... God says, you're going to be a father and Sarah's going to be a mother. And you know, sometimes it's easier to laugh than cry and it almost runs deeper than laughter. You, you don't know what to do and you're just going to laugh because this is absurd. Now, laughing when God tells you he's doing something is probably not a great idea. So what does God do? He says, you know what? The child you're going to have, his very name is going to mean laughter. So every time you call Isaac's name, you're going to remember that you laughed at my plan. You're going to remember that you laughed at what I was going to do in your life. Abraham and Sarah both laughed. And so every single time they called Isaac to the table, they had to remember that moment. Now here's something interesting. Sarah, 13 years before, had decided that she was going to take God's timing and plan into her own hands. Right? You remember this story from Genesis 16? The Bible tells us that she decides she wants a baby. She has waited long enough. Okay, she's not going to have one. She's, uh, I guess she's um, 80. She's 79 at the time or 76. I'm not good with math. She's 76 at the time. She's, she's realized she needs to, she wants a baby, but she can't have one. So she decides to give her servant Hagar to sleep with her husband. That did not work out very well, did it? That was a bad thing. To this day, we're dealing with the consequences of that decision. Here's a little side note for you, charge. Don't get ahead of God. He knows your heart. He knows your need. He knows your dream. And listen, He knew our dream. Don't get ahead of God. He will do his work 
in you in his time. But they tried to get ahead of God, and of course, they had Ishmael, and that's been a mess ever since. The name Abram, or Abraham, like I said, Abram is high father. Abraham means father of multitudes. He didn't just change his name, he changed his identity and his future. Right? Before he was a father, he said, you're a father of multitudes. Sarai means my princess. Sarah means mother of nations. It changed her world. Changed their whole identity and everything they knew. When God changed Abram's name to Abraham, he did it as a part of the covenant, as a part of the promise and plan of God. Here's our second story. It's about Jacob. And we see that God's going to change Jacob's name because Jacob is persistent. He's persistent, and that's the second P there. This is Genesis 32, verse 22. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children and crossed the fort of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until breaking of day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven, which means wrestled, with God and with men, and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you asked my name? And then and there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Now, I want to bring you into this story. I kind of started it halfway through. In any good movie, you probably ought to start at the beginning instead of the middle. Okay? So here's what's going on in this story. You remember Jacob from the story when he was a deceiver. He deceived his father for his blessing. Remember that? His brother's name was, very good, thank you Sunday school, his brother's name was Esau, and listen, they're still at odds. Jacob gets word that Esau is on his way to Jacob, and Jacob is very afraid. He's very afraid. Well, God had blessed Jacob. Jacob was very wealthy, he had lots of herds of animals and lots of things, and so Jacob came up with this plan. He said, you know what, I'm going to start sending lots of animals and herds towards Esau as he's coming towards me because he's afraid of his brother. He's afraid he's going to kill him and all of his servants and all of his family. So he starts sending parts of the herd towards Esau and saying, hey, make sure servants, when you see Esau, tell him, hey, this is a gift from Jacob. This is a gift from Jacob. Every time they would send a group of animals, this is a gift from Jacob. And so he keeps keeps sending these, these presents, if you will, to Esau. And then we see in this story, Jacob wrestles, says a man, but he's no man because he just touches Jacob's hip and he dislocates it, right? He realizes he could have been much stronger through the whole night. For whatever reason, God, this, is, this man is God, and he's allowed Jacob to wrestle with him. It, just stop there even for a moment. That God in his grace holds back his power so we can wrestle. How beautiful, how incredible that God does that with Jacob. So he's afraid of his brother, yet he finds himself wrestling with God. 
God dislocates Jacob's hip and says, let me go. But Jacob says, no. And I don't know. I've never had anything dislocated. But I can just imagine this is a very painful injury. But it doesn't deter Jacob. He holds on and says, I will not let go until you bless me. He was determined, determined to get that blessing. So when he dislocates his, his hip, he actually makes him more vulnerable for his brother, which is going to cause him to have, even, have to have even more faith that God is with him. God ever dislocated your hip figuratively? It caused you to just, oh, Lord, I don't know how we're going to do this. I don't know how we're going to make the mortgage. Uh, we don't have enough money in the bank for groceries. Have you ever been there? And yet God gives an opportunity for you to trust him more than you did before. Isn't that beautiful how he does that? Listen, I, I, this is a strange story, but I love it, mainly maybe because of that reason. We see that God is so pleased with Jacob. He's so pleased with the fact that he's not deceiving anymore. The name Jacob, sorry, Jacob, means deceiver. The name Jacob means deceiver. And so God, that's why God says, wait a second, what's your name? I thought I was wrestling with Jacob. He goes, Jacob. And God says, oh, that's not going to be your name anymore. From now on, your name is going to be Israel. You know what Israel means? Power with God. That's what Israel means. He says, no longer do you have to deceive for a blessing. Jacob, now you have the faith to hang on to me. You got the faith to hold on tight and not let go until you receive the blessing that I'm going to give you. Isn't that good? Your name, your identity, and you know what's even cool? Your past. I've taken care of it. You're no longer a deceiver. You now have power with God. You're now Israel. You're now Israel. God totally changes Jacob's identity from one who deceives for God's blessing to one who by faith strives, wrestles, Lord, until he gets it. Because of, of Jacob's persistence, we see God change his name and his identity. Listen, it's not enough for God, and this is for all of these stories and for us. It's not enough for God to change their name. Just to go by something else, that's not enough, right? He's going to change their very identity, how he sees himself, how he's known. And we see that happen in every one of these stories this morning. Let, let me ask you this. What kind of blessing do you need this morning? And how badly do you want it? See, Jacob, he was up anyway. <laughs> I guarantee you, Jacob couldn't sleep. He had sent all of his servants, all of his property, and his whole family. He sent them away, and he's by himself. You know he couldn't sleep. And not only could he not sleep, now he's wrestling all night long with God. What blessing do you need this morning and how badly do you want it? Are you willing to put in a wrestling match with God and say, God, please. By faith, I'm holding on to you. By faith, I'm trusting you to change me, to help me, to provide for me, whatever it is that you need this morning. Let's look at the third story. Our third story is about... Uh, our fellow that we've been reading a lot about lately in our Acts series, Peter. And we're going to see that God's going to change his name because of all the potential that Peter has. Let's look at John 1, 40-42. It says, One of the two had heard John speak and followed Jesus. It was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. 
he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. This is the first time they're meeting, by the way. Okay, keep that in mind. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Cephas and Peter both mean the same thing. Rock. The very first time Jesus sees Peter, Simon, I'm sorry, the very first time he sees him, he goes, oh, no, you're not Simon. You know what Simon means? It means to hear or to listen. Jesus is saying, that, that name is not going to work for the plans I have for you. I don't need you to listen. I need you to speak. I don't need you to be passive. I need you to be active. I need you to go and do the work that I have for you. Your name won't work as Simon. It's going to be Peter. Now, we've been in this series in Acts, and I'm loving it. We're taking a little pause for a couple of weeks, but the Peter we're seeing in Acts, man, he is bold. He is strong. He is confident. He is full of the Spirit. He is obedient. He is man, he's brave in the, in the face of danger, right? That's, but you know what? He's acting out of the identity of the rock. And we talked about this recently in one of our messages in Acts. When we see Peter hunkered down in front of the fire, denying that he's been with Jesus, he's just sitting back listening, isn't he? Who's he being? Simon. What's interesting is Jesus changed his name from the first day he saw him. because so, so we know that it wasn't what Peter did that got him a new name. It was the potential that Jesus saw in Peter's life that got him a new name. But you know what's interesting is in their relationship later on, Jesus will go back and call him Simon. I think it's so interesting to me that he won't call him Peter. He gave him the name Peter, but he goes back and calls him Simon. He did it when the, the, the lady comes to wash Jesus' feet <laughs> with the oil and perfume and, her, and dry his feet with her hair. He tries to tell him, says, Simon, Simon. Do you know why he does that? He does it to remind Peter, you're not acting like the rock. You're acting like a listener, like a hearer. You're acting like Simon. And how many of us often go back to that old man that we used to live in instead of the new man that God has created? God did the same thing with Jacob. He called him Jacob instead of Israel. You know, my girls... <laughs> I love them to death, but I hate it when they get whiny. You know what I'm talking about? The whiny voice? Ugh. So they'll start being whiny, and, and I don't know if this is in parenting books or not. Maybe it should be. Uh, but I'll start going, oh, whiny, windy. You're whiny, windy right now, aren't you? Oh, you're whiny. Do you think they enjoy that? They hate it. They, they go, Daddy, stop! And it gets their attention just like that. Do you know why? Because I'm saddling on them an identity they don't want to have, right? They don't want to be whiny windy. They want to be Daisy and Jovi. But I help them to realize you're not acting like Daisy and Jovi. You're acting like whiny windy. And it snaps them out of it. And they get mad at me. And I just think, isn't that interesting? Jesus, in his love for, for Peter, occasionally go, hey, Simon, Simon, how we doing over there? And maybe it was just a way to go, hey, you're not acting like the identity I gave you. Jesus could see Peter's potential, not the unsure, fearful Simon, but the rock 
of who he could be and what he wanted to accomplish through him. Here's our fourth story. Story about Saul becoming Paul. This is Acts 13, verse 5. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elamus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, the, the message Bible says, Mr. Know-it-all. Maybe that's the meaning of his name. Opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Now something to, to note here. This is Paul's first miracle. This is the first time we see Paul filled with the Holy Spirit and perform an, uh, a miracle. And because of that miracle, Sergius Paulus, the governor, the Roman governor, receives Jesus. God uses this miracle for this man to come to know Christ. Awesome. Now, I don't know about you, but I've always assumed that Saul's name changed to Paul maybe somewhere around his conversion. Maybe it's on the road to Damascus or a little bit later. Maybe they, they decide it's a better name. It's a, I, I don't know. I've never really looked into it that much. But the reality is there's some interesting study behind Saul's name changed to Paul. We see in uh, verse 9 here, but Saul, who was also called Paul. A lot of people seem to think, you know, Paul was a Roman citizen. Okay? He was a Roman citizen, so he very well could have had a given name of a Roman citizen, Paulus. But his parents were very devout Jews, and so they called him a very Jewish name, which was Saul. Now, who is the man that he's going to preach to? Sergius Paulus, right? It's very possible that Paul, in his desire to win this person to Christ, said, hey, my name's Paul. I don't use it very much. That's my name. It's very interesting and very plausible that that could have been the case. Now, we also know that Jesus had given uh, the ministry to the Gentiles. Paul, right? It's kind of like Paul just said, you know what? This is going to be the rest of my life. I'm going to serve the Gentiles. I might as well have a Gentile name so I can make a connection. Almost like Paul is saying, you know what? Saul is a Jewish name and that doesn't give me a chance to do the ministry that I want to to the Gentiles. I'm going to, because of context, listen to me, because of context, because I'm going to be going to the Gentiles, I need to change my name so I have a better chance to make Jesus known. That's what Paul does. That's what he's doing right here. Another interesting fact. In all of Paul's writing, in all of his writing, he never uses the name Saul. Isn't that interesting? 
So as he's developing, as God is using him in this ministry to the Gentiles, he just owns the fact, this is who I am for God's glory. I'm Paul. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about it. Is there another Saul in the Bible? You remember the Saul from the Old Testament? King Saul? The people said, God, we want a king. We want a king. And, and God was not very happy with him. He said, oh, fine, I'm going to give you a king. And it's going to be Saul. And we read in 1 Samuel 9-2 about Saul's father. He said, and he had a son whose name was Saul. Now Saul was a handsome young man and there was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Does that sound anything like the apostle, or I should say the Pharisee Saul, as he mentioned his old life, his former life in Philippians 3, when he said in verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and as to righteousness under the law, blameless. There's a really interesting study. I'm not going to go too deep into it this morning, but there's a very interesting study between Old Testament King Saul and Pharisee Saul. Very interesting. I'm just going to make a couple of points. They're both from the tribe of Benjamin. They're both Hebrew of Hebrews. They're both from respectable families. They both seemed higher than people. One was a king, one was a Pharisee. King Saul sought to kill the Lord's anointed king, David. A Pharisee Saul wanted to kill those committed to God's anointed king, Jesus. They were both blind. King Saul lost his mind and started trying to get advice from a medium. And where Pharisee Saul was struck blind on the road to Damascus. Isn't that interesting? There's a lot of parallels. And it could have been that Paul realized, I'm compared to this bad king from the Old Testament. He would have known of King Saul. And it could have been that him owning the name Paul, not just to context and to go to the ministry and the people that God had sent him, but to say, I don't want to be King Saul. Do you know what the name Saul means? It means desired. And so when you talk about him being a head taller or a Pharisee among, it just has an arrogant ring to it. Do you know what the, the name Paul means? The name Paul means as if Paul is not only saying, hey, for contextual reasons, we need to change our name. We need to change our name. I need to change my name so I can go to the ministry of the Gentiles. It's not just that. He's trying to say, I want to change the position of my heart. That's the last P on your sheet there. God is changing the position of my heart. I don't want to just be a Hebrew of Hebrews. I don't want to be above everybody. I don't want to have a desired position and name. I want to be humbled and I want to be used of God for His glory. And we see it in, in verses like this in Paul's life. Ephesians 3.8 says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone that is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Does that sound like a haughty, desirable lofty person. God had brought him low. God had humbled his heart and now he was in a position to be used of God greatly for the glory of God. Right? I mean, that's what it says in James 4, 6, isn't it? God opposes the proud but 
gives grace to the humble. God changed these people's names for different reasons. Significant reasons. Abraham and Sarah, he wanted to bring them into the promise and plan of God because he had a plan. He wanted their very identity to be wrapped up in what he was doing in the nation of Israel. Jacob, he was persistent. He held on to God and said, I won't let go until you bless me. And God said, you're not the same person. I'm changing your name. You're now Israel. And Peter, the very first time he sees him, he goes, oh no, Simon won't do for you. Not good enough just for you to listen and hear. You need to speak. You need to be active, not passive. I've got a great work in mind for you, and you have potential. And we see lastly in Paul, God changes his position from one of haughtiness, one of pride, one of arrogance, one of a judgmental spirit, so much so that he killed Christians, to one of humility being hunted himself, that God could use him the way he chose. So this morning you're saying, okay, that's great. Good stories. We're familiar with those stories. What does that have to do with us as a church? Well, let me give you a little history on Temple. I grabbed this, uh, and many, y'all have seen this, I'm sure, but this is just a little, it says highlights of 40 years. So I'm assuming maybe this was printed 41 years ago as part of a celebration for a 40-year-old church. And it's very cool. It's very interesting. It lists the uh, charter members of the church here. And it says up here, July 5th, 1936, a group met under a tent at 18th and Summit Avenue in Little Rock and announced the purpose of organizing a new missionary Baptist church. I just love history, and I love that. And these people believed in it. And then they had to come up with a name, which is a very daunting task. And it says down here, every church group needs a name, and the following ones were presented. Bethlehem, Calvary, Macedonia, and Bethlehem was selected. Y'all realize we were that close to being Bethlehem Baptist Church? It says the next day, E.T. Burgess suggested the name Temple. And for whatever reason, it stuck. And now for 81 years, we've been Temple Baptist Church. Here's the truth. We're no different than those people. We sit in the same place. A small group of people trying to determine, God, how would you have us to reach this community for Christ? How would you have us learn from these stories even that you have a plan to reach this community? We've been persistent as we've prayed. That we have potential beyond what we even can recognize or know. And we want to have the right heart. We want to have the right position to do the ministry you've called us to. Just like them, I think we're in a place of trying to figure out who are we going to be? What's our identity? Remind you of uh, this scripture in Matthew 9, 16. It says, No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch tears away from the garment. And a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins. And so both are preserved. God has used Temple Baptist Church greatly. I wouldn't be standing here today if it wasn't for Temple Baptist Church. Many of you have that same story. 
But as you know, the last few years have been very difficult. Some of you don't realize how close to closing the doors the church came, even just this past summer. I didn't realize how close. Many of you didn't realize how weary Brother Jerry had become. But the good news is, God has given us a new vision. He's given us new leadership. And we feel as leadership, we feel in order to have the greatest opportunity for reaching our community, if we want new conversations and new relationships in this community, we need to name the church a different name. Temple Baptist Church has worked for 81 years. It's been beautiful. God has used it. But we live in a new context. And Temple doesn't have the same ring to it that it might have had in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. We need a name that will allow us to have new conversations and new relationships. How many of you remember the Active 18 meeting? <laughs> it was my very first one to come to, <laughs> and I was sharing, and it was sitting down, it was very casual, and then Brother Jerry, <clears throat> in a fiery way, kind of stood up and said, all right, we've got to ask some hard questions. Y'all remember this? We've got to ask some hard questions. Now, if we have to change the name of the church, who's going to be okay? are you going to be okay with that? And he raised his hand, and he waited. And I'm looking at him like he's crazy. I couldn't believe he just said that. But then I wanted to see what your response was. And so I quickly turned around to look at you. And every hand in the room was up. You remember that? Every person in the room said, yeah, if that's what we have to do to reach this body, this community for Christ, that's what we'll do. And in that moment, in my heart, I knew you were ready. I knew you were ready to do something significant to make some changes here that would give us the best opportunity to make Christ known in this community. So we prayed about it. We prayed about it for months. We've dreamed. We've thrown around ideas. And as the leadership of the church, we feel very led of God to replant our church with a new vision and a new strategy as South City Church. That's going to be our new name. Some of you say, hey, wait a second, what, why South City? What is, what is South City? What does that mean? What is, what, what's that about? Well, let me just tell you something. There's a lot of people in, South, in central Arkansas, a lot of people who don't really value Southwest Little Rock. Did you know that? I think you probably did. Just yesterday, I was speaking to a police officer in my neighborhood, and he's telling me what he did for a living. We were at the park with our kids. And I told him what I was doing, what we were doing, how excited we were about what God was doing in our church in southwest Little Rock, and he goes, ooh, okay. You see, a lot of people don't value southwest Little Rock, but you know what? This is where God has placed us. This is where we are. And so you know why, South City? We're going we're gonna to own this location that God has placed us in, and we're going to love the people that surround it. Just in our very identity, we're going to say, this is who we are. We're proud to be south of the city. We're proud to be in southwest Little Rock, and we're going to love people better than we've ever loved them before. Now, one of your questions might be, okay, Brother Drew, the word Baptist is not in it. Some of you are thinking that. The word Baptist is not in it. So are we still a Baptist church? Are we going to go forward? Are we still going to be a Baptist church? Well, the first thing I want to tell you is that many BMA churches, many, BMA churches have dropped the word Baptist 
from their names. Many. It doesn't mean they've dropped their heritage or their beliefs. What it means is we want to have as many conversations about Jesus that we can have. There are so many people who, when they see the word Baptist on a sign, uh, they have baggage for whatever reasons. They have thoughts in their minds of what that means, and they won't even darken our doors. And so we just want to say, hey, we want to have as many conversations about Jesus that we can have. This church that we're reading about in Acts, it wasn't uh, Antioch Baptist Church. It was just a church, right? It was just a church. Our doctrine, our beliefs, they aren't changing. In my heart and in the heart of our church, we will always uphold the truth of the Word of God. And for all intents and purposes, we will be a Baptist church, just not in name, because we want to have as many opportunities to share Jesus as we can. So then the question may be this. So so tell me, when, when does this take place? When do we become South City Church? Well, on February 26th, which is two weeks from today, we will have our last service where this body is known as Temple Baptist Church. Okay? The body continues. The church grows. The church deepens. We become the disciples of Jesus he wants us to be. But the last time we'll be known as Temple will be February 26th, two weeks from today. But listen, it's going to be a celebration. We're going to celebrate all that God has done through temple. We're going to worship the Lord and thank him for his faithfulness to us. He's been so faithful. He's been so good. He's been so kind. And we're going to worship him and thank him for what he's done in our church. And what he's going to do. We're going to become a new gospel community, a new vision, a new strategy. Now, before we go and before you leave today, We've got a handout for you that explains a little bit more about who South City wants to be and some of the strategy in which we plan to do that. I want everyone to get one of those. They're going to hand them to you in the back, okay? But listen, pray with us. More than anything, pray with us so that we can be exactly who God wants us to be. Now, let me, let me wrap us up today with this. As I remind you about some of these stories, let me bring it home for our church, for our body, for our people. God wants to let us in on his plan. Drew doesn't have a mission in southwest Little Rock. Jesus does. In his kindness and his grace, he's invited us into it. God wants to change our name because he has a plan for this community. He's been moving us for change for a while, a year, two years, I don't know. And it's important for you to know And hear me say this, this is not my idea. This is not my plan. This is God's plan that I'm trying to be obedient to carry out with our leadership. That's a a significant point that you need to remember. Listen, Brother Jerry told me that that at least a year, year and a half, you all were praying, and you were praying fervently. Am I right? You were persistent you would not let go of the Lord until he blessed you. I I believe that. Listen, it's because of those prayers. It's because of that persistence. He changed Jacob's name to Israel, and I believe that's one of the reasons he wants to change ours. The things that are happening, 
The reason that baptistry had five people in it last Sunday is in part because you prayed for it. Because you sought it. Because you held on to God with tenacity and you, you were striving for His will and His desire in this place. The blessings we're seeing, is tie, they're tied to that. Here's the third thing. When He, he sees our potential. Many of us, me included, it's hard to even see the potential that God has for our church, for South City Church. This spring, we'll have 500 kids playing soccer on our field. 500 kids. Currently, right now, we have 250 kids playing soccer in the Family Life Center. Right now. Right now, we already have 250 kids involved every day back there in our Family Life Center and in our church with LSY. That's a thousand kids with a thousand families who need Jesus and need to be discipled to Jesus. Do we have an opportunity? We have potential. We have great potential. And listen, He wants to position us for His glory. Between four and 7,000 churches close every single year. Four to 7,000 churches close every single year. Today, we are not one of them. Praise Jesus. I've talked with the leadership of the BMA, and they want our church to be an example to many dying churches around the country. And they told me, they said, Drew, man, we're praying for you. We want to see this thing just go crazy. We're so excited about what you're doing because... We need churches that are dying to be reminded they don't have to. We need churches that are dying to be reminded that they can have a new life if they will strive, if they will pray, if they will seek the Lord. God can do what only God can do. He wants to give us a position to bring Him glory. Now, I'm going to close here, and Brother Jerry's going to come and pray. I know that this is a lot to take in this morning. I know that. I want you to know that last night I laid in my little girl's room on my face and I prayed for each of you by name because I love you. I know this is difficult some, in some ways to hear, but may our focus and our heart and our mission be about one name, the name of not my name. Not Temple's name. May our desire, our mission, be about the name of Jesus. We're no different than that group in 1936 that were trying to figure out the right name, the right identity, the right context that they could move forward and do the work God had called them to. We're the same. We're the same. Pray with us. Don't forget to get a handout this morning as you leave. I'm going to ask Brother Jerry to come and uh, talk to us and pray, pray for us. Did you hear the excitement? Did you hear the numbers? Did you hear the possibilities and the 
potential that we have. Just think, this is what God is doing with us. He's letting us be a part of it. God has been great to us. First off, He has brought us a leader whose heart beats with the heart of God. You've heard a tremendous message this morning. My, this message is from God. It is a message that has has explained what God does with people when He changes their name. This is what God is doing in our midst. And I've more, I'm more excited than I have ever been in my life. Drew talked about the times that we prayed. We were on our knees, folks. You were with us. We prayed about this. And God has led and directed And now He's given us the privilege and the opportunity to go forward. It is time. I too prayed last night. I've been praying for days when I knew that this day was coming, this message was coming. And I want to tell you, I believe God's been in it from the very beginning. You see it as God delivered it to us today. We've prayed. And we've seen the result of our great God in heaven. How He hears our prayers. And how He's willing to go with us. I want to ask you this morning, to join me in prayer in this altar. I would like for you to once again, let's assume that position that we assumed months and months, for months and months, and let's be on our knees and on our face before God. I'm going to ask all of you who can. I know some of you can't. But all of you who can to come and join me in the altar. And those of you who can't, if you want to come to the front uh, front pews, uh, or front seats, and sit on those front seats, then you come. And let's pour our hearts out to God again, as we have so many, many times in these last few months. And let's believe again that God is going to hear our prayers and that He's going to answer our prayers. Let's pray. Oh God, Creator of this universe and all that is in it, 
thankful our hearts are this morning that we can call on your name. Lord, we know that you hear us. You've said that you lend your ear to your children whenever they pray. And we're coming to you this morning as humble children. Asking God that you would hear our prayer. We thank you, God, for what you have done for us. We thank you for the place that you have brought us to. And we thank you, God, for what you're going to do with us in the future. And we only ask that the power of your Spirit be upon us. Be upon each of us individually. And Lord, that you take control of our hearts. That you take control of our minds, of our thinking. That you will place a very vivid vision before us of the lost people in this community. Lord, help us to see the broken homes that are here. Help us to see those that have lost their way. They don't know where they're going. Help us to understand, Lord, that You have put us here for this purpose and this reason. God, may we forget our own selves. May we forget about our own lives. May we forget about our own preferences. May we be so completely involved in that that you have that only your name would be mentioned and glorified and honored in all that we do. God, I thank you for these here today. I thank you for these wonderful people who have given and given and given so much. And I thank you, Father, that you're leading them and directing them now. And at this important moment in our lives, I pray that we will be completely surrendered to your will in our lives. It is in the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray.